How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the One Deeper Podcast. This week, I have Dr. Travis Wilcher. Travis is my thesis supervisor and someone I've worked with and learned from over the past two and a half-ish, three years. Um, he does a lot of work in complex systems dynamics, especially as they relate to understanding how teams behave, what good teams do versus bad teams do. You will get more of an idea of the work he does in this episode. But broadly speaking, it is the intersection between complex systems dynamics and interpersonal behavior in between two people, multiple teams, all sorts of good stuff. Um, I'm sure this is something that will be very new to a lot of you. And I think it's still very interesting i'm looking forward to uh, hearing more from travis and learning more about these things and if you're interested there's a lot of material that will be on the show notes so please check those things out and once again thanks for tuning in and i hope you enjoy peace All right, Travis, it's been a while. I mean, it's been a minute and uh, wanted to make this happen, but glad we are finally here. Glad to be here. All right, so. <laughs> is there, is there, because the, the general idea is I wanted to do like a very um, chill, but fairly like reasonable discussion about your work, because it's really interesting, because for me, the intersection between anything that gives me a way to look at human behavior and psychology in a different way yeah. is super interesting. Cool. Well, right? I think I can do that. Okay, cool. So just pull this thing a bit closer to your mouth, just like a little bit, and then just like, yeah, just there you go. Okay. That's better. That better? Yeah, that's better. All right, cool. How do you want to begin? Because like, what do you do first of all? Maybe you want to introduce yourself and then maybe it'll go to that. Yeah, so I'm uh, Travis Wiltshire, and I'm an assistant professor here in Tilburg University in the Cognitive Science and AI department. Uh, in particular, and the work that you might be familiar with is on teamwork dynamics. So I would consider my work to be at the intersection of cognitive science and complexity science while applied to how people think together with others. So that applies in teamwork context, that applies in uh, social interactions, um, and things along those lines. Uh, so I focus in combining, you know, theory for how we can sort of combine, yeah, this complexity and cognition and collective uh, thinking and uh, things along those lines with the methods that we need to do them. What I found, like, one thing that I found really interesting is this, it's like a really neat bridge between psychology and from what my own reading for my you know for the thesis a lot of uh contribution from physics right like a lot of physics based tools are now being sort of co-opted to do these kind of things yeah so i think that's part of where complexity science comes into play that a lot of the methods do come from physics and it has to do with this sort of 
principle of universality that we get from that. And that's generally that if we think of something that's a complex system, which means that it has you know, many components that are interacting, it changes over time, uh, it exhibits some form of emergence where there's, um, there's not necessarily a centralized controller, but it's due to these interactions that sort of organized behavior occurs. Um, when you have these different components, a lot of those, you know, we see in physical systems, and they should provide the basis for understanding other types of systems. So that's why, uh, you know, my background was originally in psychology before I became more multidisciplinary. And uh, so it's really cool, actually, to look to these other disciplines and the methods that they have and sort of these universal sort of principles or characteristics that we should see in any types of systems and seeing if we can actually identify them by applying them to uh, psychological time series or physiological time series and so on. I mean, I think for a lot of people, the interest in the dynamics of a group hit sort of a crescendo with the whole COVID thing, right? And um, uh, I, I can't remember if I... I, have, I mean, there are a lot of papers that I ran into like that used some of these complex system dynamics to see uh, if they can derive any more information about COVID specifically. But um, yeah, no, like I, I, I remember like at that time there was, I was like, just like, just, just trying to get a, trying to get a, get a clear understanding of what's going on. People were trying all kinds of stuff to, how, how, like, to, to, to predict what's going to happen, to like understand what just did happen, how it spread and like, but um, you're more focused on, Interpersonal, not, not interpersonal, but like a smaller groups, though. Well, actually, I, I kind of want to go back to your earlier point about sort of group dynamics reaching a yeah, yeah, crescendo. Yeah. And I think maybe you're referring to how a lot of people were talking about viral transmission and yeah. adherence to rules or things like that, um, which you're right, uh, compared to my research, which focuses either mostly on dyads, so groups of two or groups of three, four, five maybe a bit larger, but not much. Um, and the way that we interact with each other when we have shared goals and sub goals, but when kind of, I don't know how much like COVID talk is like overdone at this point, of course, it's not gone. But one of the big things that we noticed was actually a change in our group dynamics, right? Yes. because we shifted to virtual interaction. And, and I think that's one of these key things where now the dynamics have changed all of a sudden. The The timing of how long it takes for us to respond, our ability to read like nonverbal cues uh, and sort of interact naturally, um, those all change sort of overnight. overnight. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, part of like what I look at is actually how we coordinate when we're in kind of group settings, when we're in meetings or things like that. And coordination here means like timing our behaviors, our speech, things like that. Um, and, you know, when we had this sort of sudden shift, uh, a lot of people reported sort of being, um, you know, more tired from a day of virtual meetings compared to if you had only face-to-face uh, -face stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, do, do you think like the, uh, I think... If you're, I think certain kinds of people, like I know, I know one of my friends who hates hanging out with people. Like he's like, he's just like, he's just like, just leave me alone in my room. Just let me write my code. Just, 
I'm, he's a, he, that's where he's happy, right? And he told me it was the best two years of his life. Hmm. Because he didn't have to go anywhere. He never meet people. He never he, he like his social obligations were minimized to almost zero, right? And he just enjoyed doing the stuff that he enjoyed him playing. Like you know, he's a very introverted sort of guy, obviously. And I mean, but even then, like he, it wasn't zero. He felt an impact. He was like, man, you know, like what he was like, what he missed was the freedom to do what, if he wanted to do it, even though he didn't want to do it. The having the freedom to be able to interact with people, be together in social groups was a big deal for him there's a higher cost then too right to you mentioned like the social obligation and then there was sort of your societal obligation of trying to adhere to you know rules and minimize yeah. chance of yeah. potential encounters so there there was a sort of freedom in that especially if you're more introverted to yeah, yeah. to you know be able to not have social pressure and and then afterwards i think we still have some of that we see workplaces changed as well that you know, there's less expectations to physically be present. But we actually realize a bit more, like, what is that value of face-to-face -face interactions? Like, and you know when something could easily have been an online meeting that you don't need to go somewhere in person for. So I think this is a nice point to maybe introduce the concept of, like, a phase change, right? So um, what people would have expected was that, oh, covid problems disappeared and we would just relax back to the previous state mm. of doing things the same way we've been doing things right but that's not the case though, no right we've come to a different um, stable configuration of doing things maybe you want like just maybe just give us a maybe a small imagine you're talking to a first year student mm -hmm. right and like so when i ask you like any technical stuff just be like okay well here's kind of what it what might what it might mean well, as you know, I also teach a complex yeah. systems class at the master's level, and we were talking about phase transitions today. Um, so like the easy version of understanding what this means is it is a concept that originally comes from physics, and it's being increasingly applied in the cognitive science. And it's this idea that, you know, if we consider something a system like a, a group or a team, that, you know, there's some states that they exhibit, which... Uh, could be a stable state and this uh, this might be you know our normal way of interacting during a meeting and a phase transition means something happened that changes those dynamics um, so a common example for understanding phase transitions is actually one that's very common to us uh, so water uh, when water changes into ice or into uh, gas that's a phase transition. And we can very clearly know that the states of water are very distinct from vapor or, or gas. Um, what that looks like in a group or team setting or even individual setting can be quite different. Um, so in, in some of my work in teams where they're collaboratively solving problems together, often in a gaming context, uh, sometimes sort of the communication patterns that they exhibit go through these phase transitions. So we can identify points when there's a key change and we want to go in and look at, well, what is it that, that was kind of contributing to that change? And in this case, you know, it's sort of the distribution of communication states, um, meaning we might be talking about things that are related to understanding a problem. And once we've understood it, we have a transition and now we're sort of generating what might be options for solving that problem before we then transition again to maybe executing them or and then maybe that doesn't work and we go back to sort of generating new options and, and then, 
yeah, so this gives an example of what that might look like in a, in a in a team setting. Right, right, right. So like, so uh, it was weird. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, sure. People talk about a lot about COVID and whatever, but like, um, it was from that context. It's interesting, right? It's like this: is this a sort of a, a control parameter parameter that sort of just like put us into a whole different situation that we were in. But anyway, something interesting that that that, that occurred to me was like, um, okay, so the one I'm, the work the, the work that I'm doing right now with you and, uh, on our project, we're looking at the within team movement dynamics of uh, Dota, Dota two matches. Basically, the avatars in the on the field of a Dota two uh, map and how and how the team within how the coordination of position of the team varies as the, as the match goes on or whatever so something interesting happened over the weekend okay there was a big tournament yeah okay and um is a big land tournament and the and uh, celery the person the the, the the player i interviewed they won the whole thing last this oh, weekend wow. and but the, that's not the interesting thing the interesting thing was one of the teams so the probably the favorite favorite to win this uh, land tournament um when they got to the so like they were like at the quarterfinals or whatever and one of the team members got sick hmm. right and they had to and they had to substitute substitute him interesting with a uh standard who was who was who was uh who was qualitatively a lower ranked player but he was the analyst for their team anyway so when they substituted him, like their performance, the next few match, they got crushed, right? Okay, now it's not his fault, right? Like, sure. like we're not like like throwing shade at Jabs. Like he did amazing, but now we have an interesting point here. I can check. So what I'm going to do now? I'm going to pull the matches from the yeah. from the tournament, and and see if there's a difference, a qualitative difference in sync in movement synchronization between him and the team now um but it's pretty cool because like uh that was like a nice yeah because that's that, that almost never happens right how do you how can you test that happening yeah so actually i have uh, some interesting connections with this so on the one hand you know what what the work that we've been doing together uh, just to elaborate a bit more is sort of saying well if we look at these periods of interaction so a match and we try to capture a team level metric which is this uh, synchronization metric uh, is that useful for predicting some kind of outcome which in this case is like the 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 performance or the ranking and the some of the phases phases of the competition so there's that level of analysis right where we can sort of characterize a whole period um, but then there's this aspect of sort of what happens when teams experience unexpected events uh, in complex systems theory, we sometimes call these like perturbations. It's some kind of external influence on the system that can can change this. They can also sort of induce a phase transition. Um, and some of our laboratory research, we actually do this uh, as well. We actually say, uh, oh, your uh, your um, your input device, there's something malfunctioning with it. So now one team member can't contribute to the game that they were playing and they have to adapt and figure out a new way to sort of perform well uh, despite these circumstances. 
So I think that's actually is quite an interesting thing to see where how they sort of adapted and whether this is reflected in the metric that you've been using. Um, and, and actually, you know, you could sort of there's a lot of research that talks about rigid versus flexible or adaptive teams. And the ones that are quite rigid, you know, they, they, they might be very good at performing under like very known or predictable circumstances. Uh, but when something unexpected happens and they, their sort of ability to perform well could just like break down and they might not recover from that. Right. So one interesting phenomenon, you just, cause you just mentioned a rigid team was a team that's very flexible. One phenomenon, at least in Dota 2, is that so there's a collection of collection of characters a, uh, a team can choose from, mm. right? Yep. And so you would think that um, a team that has a very wide repertoire, because you know, because each player in a Dota 2 team on a, in the match plays a very specific role during the game, and each character is suited for a specific role, but which is cool because in one sense the the characters were not created for these specific roles, right? Like the game was not created, the, the, the specific roles just emerged over ten, over like 15 years of the, of the game developing one after the other. Because it started out with just like a random map and all the only, the only thing was just like each team f- picks five random characters. You, you, you try to destroy the other enemy's base before they destroy yours. And the, game naturally and the players naturally evolve strategies that sort of uh, gravitated towards having these specific roles given that there are five people who can play it it'd be cool so it'd be cool if like okay if they add one more player what role would emerge like i suppose like what other different strategies might emerge um so uh like the the fact that there is a support role, carrier role, has nothing to do with, really with the game. It just sort of showed up as a function of people just playing and trying to figure out the best strategy to, strategy to get the most points. I had a point. I had a reason why I brought this up. I cannot. It just slipped my mind. But uh, well, you're, so you're talking about how you know the roles weren't explicitly part of the game. They emerged sort of naturally due to players interacting with each other, trying to figure what's an optimal strategy. I'm not sure if this is jarring oh, your man, I can't remember. But like, train of thought. Uh, but like, what the hell was I trying to say? God damn it! Um, uh, oh man. Anyway, we'll, I'll, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to it. Well, there's there's one thing that I wanted to connect here because you know I talked earlier about if you have like a complex systems pr- uh, perspective, then you're looking for some kind of universal characteristics that should be exhibited by all types of complex systems. But one aspect of this, especially for teams, is there's always going to be context specificity. So the dynamics, while there might be sort of key things like we know that there might be phase transitions that emerge, what those mean and what drives those are going to be specific to the particular context we're looking at, whether that's in Dota 2 or in a, a team in a business environment or healthcare environment. And role specificity, you know, individuals can contribute to changing the dynamics. You know, if you have someone that's sort of dominating in a meeting and taking up all the discussion time, they're really dri- driving the dynamics of that interaction. Um, whereas sometimes, you know, you have a more flexible uh, team where the, the roles are very complementary and there's more turn taking and things like that. Okay, no, I kind of remember what I was trying to say because you mentioned uh, perturbations, right? And um, 
like one of the so uh, one sort of idea is that so when, when a team is when two teams are competing the other team is trying uh makes a move that is a perturbation to like to the like so one team is trying to maintain some level of um, how do you say it uh, like stability mm-hmm. right and the other team makes some sort of move to perturb them and then get them and um in this so in that frame success uh, a good defense is sort of mitigating or just straight up not being affected by the perturbation or like once affected coming back to the normal state really quickly as opposed to like taking long time to get to get dispersed so let's say in a situation where the team member has to drop out mm-hmm. right so an interesting thing was their performance plummeted like the first so when the team member had to drop out their performance plummeted the next matches but then they but then they had they went back had a good, had, had, had a good night's sleep but a couple of people like you know <laughs> came back the next day and they crushed toward like two other like a really good team to get okay. to the grand, to get to the grand finals but then they got crushed again in the grand finals but like uh, man i just thought that was super interesting like the fact that you could cuz i was think cuz when i'm when i'm watching it now i'm thinking of it in watching it in this frame of reference in my mind right sure yeah and like now you can see okay cool oh man i wonder what happened there like i want to see so what's what's going on yeah that's interesting so you you mentioned a bit about whether we consider sort of the separate teams maybe as their own system that are sort of perturbing each other or is it really one system with components that are interacting it's an interesting question but then the more broader point you had which is about having a vocabulary to describe dynamic phenomena right yeah, for sure. that really i think uh, that really can enrich our ability to understand these like quite complex interactions no like so i sent you this paper about uh, like so here's the, the thing is i get there is this sense that so what's cool about complex systems at least for what i found really really interesting is like so if i look, just look at the directory of people who work at the santa fe industry santa fe institute which is Santa Fe is like the like the probably the would you say the, the leading place world for, class yeah, uh, leaders place, in complex place systems, for complex yeah. systems yeah, yeah yeah there are people from all over the place like yeah. all over different fields different stuff and they all sort of feel like there's this system systematic way of describing uh, describing specific behaviors of interacting components that is not captured in a in maybe in in, in other ways of modeling these things but i do get this vibe where it's like if you have uh like you want to try explain everything with uh, with like you know with like you you have a hammer and everything is a nail so like you can just sort of like like you can like you can frame it in any way to make it make it make it sound like a complex system i don't know if that i don't know like what do you think about that cuz like I, i got that vibe a little bit i'm not sure like if it's justified or not i think it's a good point um i would say that if you think about the history of sort of complexity science which which is a relatively new field and multidiscipline you know that's sort of been a combination of a variety of different like areas of inquiry kind of converging um when you start to adapt some of this stuff um you know when you first saw people doing complexity science in psychology for example it's often brought in as a metaphor um in which case you know someone might have talked about 
uh, there might be sort of phase transitions or attractors, which is this concept of, you know, if a system exhibits stability, it's sort of drawn towards a stable attraction point. Um, but there, they weren't, didn't have the tools that go along with that vocabulary. Um, so I think w what happens then is um, then we started getting like the tools, they became more accessible. Um, this was a big thing because, you know, computing also became much more powerful in the last 20 years, for example, uh, where now, you know, I think 20 years ago, if you look, there's some very basic kind of software that, you know, might not have been that accessible to the average scientist, whereas now, like even, you know, my team, we develop software that is very openly accessible and a lot of people are. Uh, but the point I'm trying to get at is sort of the best work that I see actually kind of well, compares if this was not a complex system, then we wouldn't observe these types of dynamics. Uh, whereas if it is, then we we have some kind of systematic test to see, does it meet these characteristics? And if so, then we analyze it in that way. Otherwise, uh, then, then maybe it's not necessary, right? Speaking of characteristics, so one thing that I read that just like completely shocked me, like blew my mind was that um, sort of like, the, like the role of the central limit theorem and how a normal distribution can sort of be at kind of a test to see if this thing is actually uh, something that can be described as a complex system. Because um, the central limit theorem um, is derived from the from a from a system in a system where the comp the the sum the 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 net output is actually just the sum of the component outputs you expect to find these normal distributions. Um, the example that the author gave was uh, of ants who build like these little domes. Mm -hmm. And the each ant exits the exits the hole with a with a with, with a piece of gray, piece of sand and moves in a random direction a certain distance around the hole. Mm -hmm. And every ant does the same thing. And as a consequence you you have a dome that builds around the builds around the hole with this with the uniform length and that's just a, a, a function of the the central limit theorem and the fact that each ant aggregate each ant aggregates a certain piece of sand and it grows up so he mentioned uh, i'm butchering this obviously i'm making i'm <laughs> completely ruining this right but he but, but, the, but the gist of it is like you can you can use that as sort of like a null hypothesis to see okay is this system uh Produce is a is it has attributes of a complex system. So, one thing that I, was, I found interesting was that so, if you go on YouTube, and you sampled a hundred channels on YouTube, right, and you got the total number of views for all those channels, the the average you get is almost zero. Because most channels have almost no views, and mm, there are yeah, so sure. many of them, right, but the total number of views on YouTube as a whole is in the hundreds of billions, sure. yeah. right? So clearly, there's some weirdry happening here. I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's what they meant, but that's the intuition that I got. I was like, oh, that's interesting, because like if you go to Childish Gambino's channel, he's got more like a few number of people have almost all of the views, yeah. and most people have almost nothing. I think that this. So I, I oh, also I think we could talk about feedback loops. I think sure. Um, I think I'm not sure I understood the first point about yeah. the, no, the ants and the central <laughs> limit theorem. We could come back to that one. 
Uh, briefly on your point about YouTube views, one of the things in complex systems is uh, about scaling and often power laws. There's a really cool book by uh, Geoffrey West about scaling. And, you know, we see systematic relationships like what you're describing about uh, a very Here's high frequency, uh, a very high frequency uh, for for certain types of things, like a very high frequency of videos that aren't watched and sort of uh, um, like a lot of uh, less videos that have very high numbers of plays. We see this also with like text and certain letters and words and uh, things like that. So that's something that also comes from complex systems. I haven't seen it for YouTube videos specifically, but I would predict that yeah, yeah, yeah. we might find this sort so of power like, law. Um, I I got really obsessed with the Pareto distribution. Sure, yeah, similar to this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a while. So I went around looking for things that 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 were completely unrelated but uh exhibited this sort yep. of thing. So 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 a Pareto distribution is just a skewed distribution. It's like on so cuz I think it's useful to talk about cuz we especially in sort of psychology or in Generally, so just, like, we we see the we see the bell curve, the normal distribution everywhere, because it's really useful. It helps us do a lot of a lot, sure. lot of useful things, but we don't spend a lot, a lot, a lot, spend a lot, a lot, spend a lot of time on these very skewed and uh, very nonlinear uh, situations, right? Like, if you see the like all, the context generally is like, oh, if your if your distribution is skewed, something's wrong there, yeah. right? But so what I did, grabbed a bunch of random data sets from Kaggle. So I made this, uh, and it was like YouTube videos, mm -hmm. uh, basketball points scored in the NBA, the video game sales, nice crime in Boston, um, and reviews on Airbnb, yeah. right? And if you plot these things out, they look almost exactly the same. So like a few players in the NBA have scored have scored almost all of the points, <laughs> right? A few, few, a few channels on YouTube have almost all of the views. A small, a, a few places in Boston have almost all the crime. A few reviews on Airbnb have almost. A few properties on Airbnb have almost all the reviews, and most of them have none. Hmm. And so, that seems to be like a, this weird thing in general. So, it even applies to stars. A few number of stars apparently have all almost all the mass, yeah. right? Which is like a weird sort of phenomenon. Well, so I think just kind of maybe going back to your early point about sort of traditional statistics, because, you know, I taught, I teach stats in this program and you, you were in my course and, you know, we need to teach this kind of basic things for stats because those have been the foundation of science for a long time. Yeah, and of really course, useful. Yeah, 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 of course, they're changing. Um, but, you know, when you talk about, well, what happens when things are a bit messier, um, this is sort of a um, kind of a philosophical um, point in science as well that traditionally you're trying to reduce things to these isolated parts and if you can say that you know this part of a phenomena follows a normal distribution and you can do your normal stats on it then you can go home and sleep well at night that you have found some interesting thing but you, you have to realize that you've reduced that you've isolated some components of what is probably part of a complex system to this you know tractable problem uh, whereas with complexity and a in some ways, it's a bit more holistic that we try to say, okay, well, we know all of these things are part of the system, and you focus more on relational aspects between how are things related, how are they coordinating together, how do they change over time. Um, and then thinking back to your example about 
the normal distribution and, you know, changes or sort of systematic distributions. Um, I, I was teaching in my complex systems class today, and we used this article from Marlene Oltsoff from Radboud University. Um, and it's based on a sort of psychological self-ratings from a single person for almost a year, but a bunch of times a day they rate different aspects of their psychological states and physical states. And what's really cool about this article is it was taking this position that uh, an increasing number of people are saying that you know, people and their, their psychological systems are complex systems, but there hadn't been anyone who just said, do they exhibit some of the key characteristics that we expect? So they asked this question, well, complex systems exhibit memory. And that means that there can be short-term and long-term relations. So what happens now uh, at, at this point in time in the day might actually be related to something that happens 200 days from now. Right. We we uh, we don't know. We can look at that if we have the data. And when you have like a normal distribution, then, you know, we assume that all of those are random and they're not related. But this memory process of complex systems shows that, you know, these things are uh, related and it might not always be in very clear ways. It can be up to incredible time lags. They also have a phase transition uh, component to this paper. So not just that there's memory processes going on, but that there's sort of transitions in the dynamics. Uh, and they use some change point analysis and checks for stationarity. And there's also sort of a predictability, which uh, when we're talking about complexity, we often want to be able to still see, can we predict anything? Because if complex systems are not totally random, if they were, then we couldn't predict anything. Um, but they're also not totally deterministic either, where we can predict everything. Um, and there should be some degree to which our predictability should decay pretty rapidly because they're known to exhibit sensitivity to initial conditions. So we might be able to predict things in the short term, which is which does have some useful applications, but it's pretty difficult in the longer term. Okay, there's a lot. So like, usually how how this how this goes is like. I'll listen to whoever's talking, and then I try to keep try to keep track of the random thoughts that sort of pop up in my head, and then like okay, I'll try to bring that back in somehow. Um, so okay, first of all, I think a cool thing we need to talk about is the sensitivity to initial conditions. So generally, okay, just a couple take, take a step back first, like a couple of steps back. Um, part of the reason, like traditionally, we, when we do science, like one of the core marks is isolating variables right because like that's kind of what you want to do it's like if you're taking a bunch of meds and you're like trying to figure out which one is working like you're like i'm going to keep everything else the same sure and then change one thing and say okay what is this actually the one that's helping me or not so that's been like insanely powerful right that paper uh written by weaver uh was it, was it weaver someone else was it weaver i can't remember his name but like making a restriction between like simple problems that was solved in the nineteen in the nineteenth mm. century versus um, complex problems that need to be solved in the future. Yeah, um, he called them like the the uh, mathematics of averages. Okay. okay, but anyway, the point uh, I'm trying to make here is that um, that's been incredibly useful and like in obviously incredibly productive, right? We have so many advances because of this way of of, of doing it. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, the next thing. Sensitivity to initial conditions. Well, well, before we talk about that, the reason why I mentioned all of these things was going back to your earlier point about 
is it just sort of like a frame or trying to use one particular tool? And what I'm saying is if it's done well, then you're actually saying if this is a complex system, I should find evidence of these properties. And if you do, then yes, you satisfy the conditions for complexity. And then, you know, you can go on to, you know, look at further aspects of the, the dynamics, like that might be sort of your key kind of research question. Um, and then you wanted to talk about sensitivity to initial yeah, yeah. conditions? But, or? But, but like, no, first, what are some of the things that, what are, when we look at the complex system, what are some of the characteristics that, that, that we want to look for? Well, so I just mentioned some of them, right? So one is memory, uh, that and memory in the sense of typically this might be correlations uh, between a signal and itself at increasing time lags, uh, meaning that what happens now is related to something that happens later, and this could be much further in the future later, like I mentioned before. Um, looking for things like transitions, that, that means that there's some different types of stable states that the system can exhibit. And this is sometimes called multi-stability. We don't know if we will always observe them because we always define some window of observation. Um, prediction, you know, is a, is a different thing, like how predictable is a complex system. Um, coordination between system components. Uh, one key aspect of complex systems means that Typically, they're driven by the interaction of the components, and there's certain kinds of analyses we can do to see, is this system driven by interaction, uh, or is it something that we could simply sum up the different variables and, and understand what's going on? So this ties into nonlinearity and whether like, like components of the system interact maybe in multiplicative or sort of non-summative ways. One of the things that I really like about this is like, I mean, one of the it's important to us that we can think about how to make effective systems, right? And one way to do that, or first step, is, is sort of like understanding what different ways can we characterize different systems, and depending on what we need to get done, what kind of things can we build into this thing to work? And Speaking of nonlinear, like the world is full of nonlinear things, right? And like things happen in a really weird weird sort of way the coolest thing i mean the, the coolest thing not many cool things but like one of the cool things is like the paper i sent you about uh complex systems approach to understanding sports injuries yeah right so basically instead of instead of saying oh okay so the the the, the problem here is can you predict can you predict when someone's gonna get injured during a sport right which should be really helpful because like okay hey man you're doing too many of that things let's back off on that because you're gonna get injured down the road and what the paper outlined was like even some of the very standard measures are not very good at predicting injury. Like you can't yeah. predict based on stress or whatever, repetition of use or whatever, right? And they hypothesize that maybe we can think of it as a web of inter web of interacting conditions that eventually give rise to some sort of some form of some form of injury, which is a different way of thinking about stuff. So I I think that's a good example, and I want to give maybe a, like a more broader one. So we talked already about phase transitions and I mentioned some cases in how that applies to teamwork. Um, some of this work has already, was actually kind of initially adapted from say physics to ecological systems. And part of it, if you look up like early warning signals, um, they're used to try to identify sort of 
changes in the environment or ecological system. So um, that's that's similar to what you mentioned as well. Like if you're trying to predict, uh, you know, a sports injury, you know, what kind of conditions lead up to that. Uh, th we can try to do the same thing with environmental systems. And this kind of goes back to that earlier point of universality. Um, but the predictability part is still pretty challenging in this area because we have a lot of markers, meaning um, one example is before a critical transition, a system should exhibit like increased variability. So if you were to monitor, for example, the variance of a signal over time, uh, you know, maybe it's some between some bounded range and then all of a sudden it starts going beyond those bounds, that might be a marker that there's going to be some transition. Um, and that can be informative, but we don't always know where the transition is going to go, right? So as you mentioned, injury, this this could be a case where, you know, there's some marker that says, um, you know, someone is likely to be injured. It could be they also have the transition and they all of a sudden have a breakthrough performance or something, you right. know. And the same thing goes uh, in play in like this environmental example in teamwork, uh, where, you know, there, there might be, we can identify with these markers sort of that a transition is about to happen or, or is happening, uh, but we don't always know exactly what sort of the state that the system is shifting to, whether that's more optimal in the current conditions or suboptimal. I mean, at the very least, it gives us a framework to understand why some systems are so goddamn hard to predict, Yeah. right? Like, because I feel like previously we just didn't have a way to talk about this. We were just like, ah, oh, well, <laughs> some systems, they just do what they do and yeah. uh, that's it. Uh, good luck, folks, and uh, go go home now. Yeah, so maybe I'll make I'll give a concrete example. One of my uh, PhDs that I'm working with, Kiana von Eindhoven, we're looking at when we can identify these key transitions in teamwork, Specifically, we're focused on when team coordination breaks down. So you're looking at this measure of coordination, and we're focusing uh, in this work on when when does the team totally become uncoordinated. And on the one hand, we have sort of annotations and 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 reliable ratings of here's where sort of behaviorally they're not performing what they ought to be doing. There might have been a miscommunication in the team task or something like that. Um, but that takes a while afterwards to be able to say what happened. But we can use wearable sensors and look at the coordination of their physiological signals, much like you know, you're analyzing sort of the, the positional data of the players in the virtual environment. Um, and can we actually sort of recover these uh, sort of team coordination breakdowns at this higher level? And to some degree, we can do it uh, with, with high recall, but we also uh, find other points. So that's what I was mentioning earlier, that uh, we can identify transitions. Systems change a lot. And what we want to be able to do is find out what are the ones that we should be concerned about. Right. You know, like the ones that are preceding a breakdown in coordination right. where the teams are not performing well, because that's the point where we could, you know, have it ha develop an adaptive uh, maybe an AI system that provides some kind of feedback to allow them to recover more quickly. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, uh, also, I I was also in curious about uh, this aspect of like a distributed computation that can happen um, in a in a in a in a you know in a connect in a collection of nodes that can interact and come up with a certain thing right so for a while i was obsessed with how uh, how things get priced 
right? Because I was like, because you go to the store mm-hmm. and the perception is that, oh, the store comes up with a price and puts the thing on the label and that's what it costs, right? But the more you think about it, the more you realize that's actually an insanely complicated problem because one of the, so this is t- tangents, but anyway, <laughs> but like one of the reasons that, that the Soviet Union failed, one of the reasons why, why it doesn't work is because it was so bloody impossible to calculate the value or the price of everything day by day, moment by moment, right? Like if you're a fool and you're satiated, your subjective value of a piece of food is very different if you, ever, if you haven't eaten for six days, sure. right? Yeah. And the system needs a way to integrate integrate each person's individual value rating in some way. It's not perfect. There's no way to get this perfect, but we need some form of way to generate a collective computation of what this thing actually costs, right? And that needs to get propagated somehow throughout the network so everyone can sort of value things accordingly. And the, uh, the, the, the accurate valuing of something by a collection of people has been shown that it actually, it's actually really, it's pretty good. Like it's better than experts. So like I was reading a paper, uh, the, so <laughs> the example is pretty stupid, but like it was like a bunch of people who, uh, who are asked to weigh how much uh, a cow weighs in a, in a, in a fair or something. Um, they vary wildly, but on average, they actually come almost like one kilo to the actual weight of the cow. So this idea of collectively computing things got pretty interesting, especially in what I'm doing now right now, is sort of like, okay, each player is watching the game, right? But they're not paying attention to the same thing, right? So they're... you. Worst case scenario, each player can be off the screen of every other player, even when they're on the same screen, because they have unique roles to say nothing else, they're paying attention to different things. And how is that information communicated so that they can all position themselves appropriately to get the thing that they want to get done? Because positioning is so important, right? And I was like, hmm. Could this be a way of like saying, okay, well, maybe this is, this is how they are doing it by like synchronizing their movements around and saying, okay, well. So, so I want to understand the connection a bit better here. You, you're talking before about wisdom of the crowd effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then how this relates to pricing of no, 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 that was, goods. Okay, okay. So this and is, then uh, are you saying there's some connection there between sort of the, the a team and maybe some kind of informational transmission in their positioning. That my main connection, the only connection there is like collectively de- making decisions on okay. on op- on how to optimally behave given a circumstance. Right. So then, in the in the goods, the value of goods, people individually make a choice on exactly. whether to so buy like, it. Exactly. So like, when I go to the store and, yeah. and I choose something or something else, I am, I am. Uh, so when let's say I run a store, right? I go to like, and my customers come in. They pick certain things. They don't pick certain other things, which changes my behavior sure. in terms of what I want to stock, which in turn up the chain changes yeah. the behavior of my supplier on and on, which is like, a, and then collectively we contribute to this costing, the pricing of these different, different things, right? Yeah. And it's crazy. Like you don't think about the fact that like when you buy an iPhone, you are contributing to the the, the pricing of cobalt okay. or, or lead, 
or uh, or the cost of how much freight costs from to go from one place to another place yeah this it's a massive crazy thing and one of the interesting and you know when things like a depression or a recession happens so it's a for me it was like almost a natural way to think oh is there a complex dynamics way dynamic way to maybe anticipate these phase changes or breakdowns where like okay all of a sudden stocks plummet i'm sure. not, i'm not the i'm certainly not the first person to think about this no, but no it was, definitely not but it was a cool uh, like uh, like a like a corollary for me to think about yeah i mean so this isn't like supply chain dynamics and uh, economics and finance are not really my area of yeah, focus um there is like a, an interesting like subfield called like econophysics which applies some of these things from physics and complexity science to try to predict fluctuations in the market and things like that and um yeah we we know that yeah no, but, but but for me the most important thing was this collective aspect of like coming to decisions i mean that's like a a, a team sport for the way i've context the way i've contextualized this is like a small little pocket of analyzing these kind of behaviors yeah. right especially like dota where it's fast paced you have to make decisions on the fly and every once in a while you, you get clips from the inside the booth where they release like some of their comic communications it's actually a lot of the time it's just silence yeah which is really interesting right you this think implicit you, yeah you yeah. you think it's like oh no do this do this like every once in a while a player will make a call like yo let's all let's all go to this lane or like hey let's smoke up smoke up making meaning like uh, applying a, a, a smoke screen so ah, that okay. uh, so that the, uh, the enemy team can't see you on the mini map okay um so there are like those clear big hmm. decision make, make making but especially in a team fight like either it's complete chaos right just like bunch of noise yeah. or it's like silence yeah which is strange cuz considering how coordinated the things are on the map you can watch it happening right so i wonder the degree to which those are uh, sort of routine parts the the things that are routinized in teamwork you know that might be things are going according to plan like right, we right, always right. have the same kind of setup once we get set up we see how that's going and if someone is saying losing ground or something then they communicate about that and that they signal that they need to adapt from their routine type of right. uh, strategy to, right, right, right. Uh, to to see what they need to oh, adjust. Sure. Yeah. So, so like, so, I mean, I listen to, like, I listen to so many of these pros talk about this stuff and I listen to like, uh, like I like this, I like the game, you know, even though I don't play it because I'm a recovering addict. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a complex, it's like a, it's like a multi-dimensional chess game. It's really yeah. interesting. And, um, one of the things you sort of uh, realize is that pros are always talking about sort of um, there's definitely so like let's say you're playing one lane right a successful let's say so you have let's say you're on the bottom so the uh, Dota map has three lanes three primary lanes where in the beginning of the game the behavior is pretty uh, routinized so like pretty like like the opening plays of a right. of a chess game which are pretty standard, right? And so if so if if you go to one lane with, with your teammate and the opposing team has their teammates uh, has their dyad on opposing you, right? A successful laning phase would be if you are able to maximally disrupt what they are, what they 
routinely want to do in that lane. So the pros sort of know like, okay, if we are facing against these two people on these two characters, what they're going to do, what they're going to want to do is A, B, C, and D. What we're going to do is try to disrupt that as much as possible. So in a real way, uh, the way they conjecturalize a, 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 a lane going well is being resistant to that perturbation from sure. their opponent, which is like, oh, which is, which is like <laughs> precisely kind of how it is, how a complex system would react to a perturbation, I feel like. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good example. Uh, I mean, at least in terms of applying the terminology to, uh, to this context. And I think that's something that we could even look at. I, I mean, one of the really interesting aspects of teams and complex systems is this sort of multi-scale phenomena, right? So in, in what we've done so far is looking at sort of position of players, just saying if we know where the players are at all points of the game and we capture how related or coordinated they are, what can we say just from that alone? But we know, of course, that there's speech or moments of non-speech. There's all these different types of interaction when we're thinking about individuals which have you know their own physiology they have their own thoughts and emotions and uh, behavior and then there's the collective of the team and the yeah, opposing I'd team like, and i'd love to do, do, do like some eye tracking some yeah. and get like a full all the voice from all yeah. the all from all the matches that would be gold i feel like you could find some cool stuff in there yeah but it goes back to uh this challenge with complex systems too which is we still want to simplify right yeah, yeah we yeah. don't want to measure and look at everything if we don't have to yeah. if we find like this is sort of a key driving variable or what we sometimes call an order parameter in complex systems uh, language then this captures enough of the information or variability about the dynamics that we don't need to look at everything but it is really interesting to look at sort of cross-scale interactions how does the team's physiology affect their behavior and so on yeah like so i mean have you i mean so you do you do a lot of work a lot of work with teams but with regards to team performance like in, in trying to improve team performance any i can't i can't maybe i'm maybe i'm forgetting something interventional stuff interventional or, stuff yeah so i think we're not yet at the f like stage where we can say concretely these are the key things that are going to be that we need to intervene and do something yeah, about, right? right? So right. we're still saying, here's the markers that we can identify and here's sort of what the dynamics look like when teams are performing well or when teams are adaptive. Um, and once we're sort of confident in those, and again, the challenge is that they're also context specific, right? So if if I'm looking at Dota 2 or if I'm looking at a different game, those markers may be different. Um, and also some of my work is in healthcare simulations. Um, so it's, it's about still laying that foundation for these are sort of the key drivers of effective performance or adaptive performance in these contexts. Once we have those, then we have, then, then we'll work towards sort of developing feedback systems that, uh, which that, that opens a whole other type of, uh, challenge associated with that as well, particularly in these uh, information rich environments, whether you're playing a game or working in a, in an operating room, there's already a lot of information competing for your attention. So if you try to influence that to improve performance, uh, you know, that could, there's, there's a high impact that, or a high chance that you could impact it negatively. Right, so right. we want to be very careful about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, um, 
it's one thing to sort of identify a system is is behaving in a certain way it's another thing to be like okay now we can change these things and see how this how how this thing changes um uh one of the like one of the papers so i just random paper but like uh, i came across this collective intelligence paper mm-hmm. right so basically they they basically quantified collective intelligence as the, so using the exact same test they do for to to generate the g factor okay. general iq um so they have one person the general g factor or the iq test basically is your performance over a bunch of different tasks and then they get the principal component of whatever that is and like um that, that's that's the g factor for a lot, for a lot, for a lot of tasks right so they do the same thing for teams they like take a take a team have them perform a bunch of different tasks and then get see if this is a c factor and they found it was it, it was published in nature or something but what's cool is the c factor which predicts performance right like the iq does is not the sum of the iqs right right so having a bunch of small people having a having a okay having a bunch of small people helps but it's not the like it's not like the higher the average iq the better they performed in these tasks right but, but what was more important apparently is like having people who are who uh, facilitate sort of communication and so having openness to yeah. to 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 uh, interact with the compo- with other components that, that would make sense right and uh, so I, i thought that was pretty cool i think uh, i haven't read this particular paper i, I think um, you might have sent it to me but uh, this has been something that's kind of been known for a long time in the team literature at least that putting a group of experts oh, sure. in the room doesn't create an expert team yeah i mean like like I, I, even in sports especially it's like no one wants five five lebron james on the right. team right yeah. it doesn't work um and, and so part of like being an effective team you know there's there's this different team level constructs uh, some of the common ones are about things like transactive memory so if you work in like a highly skilled role specific team you need to know who knows the information that you know so you can get that from from them or um yeah there's also the interpersonal component as well and uh, there's a bit of social cognition as well like knowing what your other teammates know or thinking what oh, they're that's perceiving and, like uh, uh, so i was we were listening to i was listening to the interviews very carefully all <laughs> uh, this weekend right okay. cuz like i wanted to see what the hell happened to this team when this guy dropped out and one interesting thing that he mentioned was like there was this, uh, he said there was a phase in the game that the rest of us just didn't know what to do hmm. like we rely so heavily on our position four player to direct the moves in this stage of the game that we were like just like headless chickens wandering around and they were just waiting for someone to take over and to say what to to say what to do and then only after the match they realized all right someone's going to take over this role because like they didn't know what the it's so weird did they was there some explicit communication like where people said i have no idea what i'm doing no or, it, yeah yeah so so no it was just like this radio silence yeah in a time where, where they usually don't cuz you don't think about the flow of people naturally taking over certain mm-hmm. decision making things right it just sort of happens yeah. you don't notice it until it's gone yeah. and then all of a sudden during a certain part of the game the input you're expecting to come you don't really what what appears to me in the situation is like you're not aware where the information is coming from until it's gone it's like oh it was actually that person who was yeah. doing it right so they're in a certain phase of the game they're like okay like i feel like something should be happening right now but i don't quite know what it is 
and until after they re rewatched that, like, oh Jesus, like we just completely missed this opportunity to go do here. But, like, so that was sort of a lapse in sort of this shared cognition of this situation. Like maybe everyone felt that they didn't really know what what to do, and if someone might have said, "We're really missing something here," yeah, and yeah, then yeah. that might have prompted someone yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, but to take. That's the thing. So like yeah. Dota is a very like very the roles are sort of very well defined now over 10, 20, 15 years, right? And you're, you're sort of playing your role and you ex and you expect the input to come in from other roles. And then when, when that person's missing, it's like, what the, what the hell is happening right now? Yeah. So, and the, sub and the person who was substituted to play the role, just, it's not the same. You can't just plug in a new part. Even if it's a really great player, it doesn't work. Actually, that's that's interesting because what you say actually kind of contrasts with some of the team research. So uh, on the one hand, you know, there's teams that have roles, right? And they're predefined roles. And uh, there's always this question about, can you just plug in a new person or not when you have like an established team? So there's, there's always the social aspect. There's the history that you develop. There's your ability to know uh, what someone else knows and doesn't know and to read people that helps you work better. Um, maybe it doesn't contrast completely, but but they show that you can actually like remove and replace team be team members better as long as there are roles and you're replacing someone in a specific role. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So So, I mean, that doesn't mean in the example that you gave that it's always going to be better, but I think in the research they show that you they're actually better performing teams if it's a, a role replacement that you're doing, not just if you, if you have no roles and then you replace a team member, then there's going to be a sort of worse performance. I feel like the NBA draft would be a disaster if, <laughs> if, if that was not the case, right? Yeah. Like, well, all the NFL, all the, all the, the yeah, NHL players move around all the time. Mm -hmm. Like they can, walk, they can be on one team, they get a call, they wake up in the morning, they, they have to fly to a different city because they're in a different team now. But they often keep a similar role. Yeah, right? the roles are the same. Yeah, the roles exactly. are like exactly the roles yeah. are the same. Like yeah. like they don't go become like a like a point guard and yeah. all of a sudden they're like a power forward. Like the yeah. same role, just different team, right? Yeah. So, but but I, I think so. There's there's another element here that's worth mentioning, which is about the leadership. So, if the role of the team is about some kind of specialized knowledge, so if it's like an engineering team, we have different kinds of engineers, but there isn't necessarily a leader. Sometimes you have emergent leadership, right? No one is designated as a leader, but someone just takes on that role, or sometimes it swaps around. Oh, for sure! Like that, that's literally what the, what one of the the one of the, the captain yeah. of the team said. He's like, uh, all of us, like next match, Mike, he's the first the, the position one yeah. took over that role. He was like, like just instinctively, like okay, now he was more he was more vocal. He was saying more, okay, let's go do this thing, and then they actually performed better. So, but so the captain isn't always the leader. No, 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 no. no? So, okay. so yeah. Like so, Dota two go the match of a Dota two match goes through a bunch of different phases. Like as, that's actually quite different from like a basketball game, right? It's like offense, defense. Sure. First yeah. half. I mean, that's first half, second half. But uh, I'm not gonna say that because like because I feel like there's definitely probably something qualitatively different between the first half and the second half, or like a first quarter, second quarter, like how you wanna play. I don't know. But Dota, I'm not a basketball. Yeah, exactly. Expert, I don't know. But, but Dota, uh, but, but, yeah. but Dota two for for sure. There's a laning stage where things are very stereotyped, the opening parts of the game. Then there's a mid-game where one player really takes takes over. And it also depends on the team's play style. Like sure. if 
if a team so the fact that there is something called a team's play style is should be should be a, an indication right so like yeah. some teams they rely very heavily on their one position carry they invest heavily on him they make sure his game goes phenomenally and they expect him to carry them through the game to victory okay other teams are more distributed they have three carries not neither one of them gets an incredible amount of farm but they distribute the 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 amount of money that they get among three main core players and they are expected to carry the game so then your point here is there's a, there's a captain of the team but yes. who's sort of taking on a leadership hat so to speak depends, depends on, on the phase exactly. and the play style exactly, yeah, exactly that's really interesting and so the example you gave before yeah uh, the person who was replaced uh, that that person would have typically taken on and that, that part of the in game. that part okay yeah yeah, yeah and really he'd be, interesting he'd be yeah. making he'd be making the calls like yo let's go going I'm going here going here and sort of like in that phase everyone defers to his judgment mm-hmm. and then later on in the game everyone defers to someone else's judgment yeah so um yeah that, like uh, but in the, so what's interesting about this fact that you can replace if you have if so basically what you're saying is that if you have a player if you have a component that is really specialized it sort of simplifies that component in a sense right like if 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 you're in the if if you're in the nba right and you and you need to you need you need a new point guard and every time you, every time you have to get a new point guard you have to get to know this guy personally like yeah. get to know his how he feels like what what, he, what keeps him up at night his his problems his worries that we just that's just not scalable right it's just too hard well i mean so i'm not saying that part isn't important because but you know, i mean it is but like yeah. In a sense, you you wanna, like, okay. Well, so so, uh, this is not really coming from complexity science, yeah. but from team uh, teamwork research. Uh, the, the social component is almost as important as the task component, not for effectively completing the task per se, but actually the longevity of the team. Oh right, okay. So you might be a team that's brought together with a like a tight deadline, and you have really have to just do your task work the whole time and you never socialize, then you have a really high turnover rate. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you want to establish teams that like are you know, more satisfied working together, want to continue to do so in the long term, then you also want to prioritize right, right, the right, 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 right. getting to know. Uh, yeah, so the NBA is not exactly built for that. I mean, kind of, but like in a sense that they're like, they want to win the championship for the year and then they have no problem yeah, changing but, teams. But I, I mean, I think they spend they probably spend a lot of time together still with travel and yeah, yeah, uh, sure. going out. No, what I meant was like, so for example, if you go outside, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how much time you have, by the way. Um, I didn't ask you that before I started. Yeah, probably we'll get a yeah. train after. Uh, oh, when do we start? It's like, it's, it's an hour in, so it's ah, okay. Okay. Usually yeah. I, I kept it at, at, at an hour and a half. So like, okay. yeah, so anyway. Um, what was I was saying. So why I said that was, we sort of outsource the fact that we have to do this do this computation. For example, every time we go, if every time we go outside, or every time we went to the store to buy something from the person at the counter, if we had to, someone open it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Sorry. Uh, no, yeah. it's okay. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cut so, that part. <laughs> that, that's fine. Um, okay. So what was I was gonna say, every, every time you go to the store. And you want to buy something from the from the guy at the counter, right? If you had to get to know him personally, like if you had to sort of like know what kind of mood he is in, 
what, what do you have for breakfast like did you have a fight with his significant other like if you had to know all that to buy a pair of shoes that would be impossible right well yeah i mean we have a limited social capacity right. Right? so but yeah. we sort of outsource that we sort of don't have to do the competition because we just assume he will play the role of person sure. at the counter at the shop and we can sort of come together engage in this one framework which sim- which sim- simplifies both the or both of us for each other i play the role of a customer so he expects me to do customer like things yeah. and i expect him to be a be the play the role of a the of a of a store manager or or a clerk and play the and do the things that i expect him to do if either of us start and start deviating from this role in weird ways it's going to be like first it's going to be like yo what eh? <laughs> what are we, what are you doing right and then we have to sort of recalibrate right even so when you go to a classroom same thing happens right so in a sense if you have a very if you have a role and this guy plays his role immaculately you can be like go just take this guy put him in the role but sometimes it's hard to simplify it and sort of crush it down into just the role there's more to it than that yeah yeah no that's i think it's a good example because you know there are these cases where we tend to just follow social scripts and then when there's something that violates that that's where things get weird and we see how sort of adaptable we are to this sort of unexpected event and that also applies that applies if you replace someone with a specific role it also just applies in the normal operating of a team right uh, um you know there's a lot of work for example with uh aircraft right and or, or there's been you know recent other transit difficulties too with trains and things like this that you know you're working together in a cockpit or in the the cabin of the train and maybe things look fine but you know the system that you have behaves unexpectedly um so it could be something that's driven from a team member itself or what we call you know a socio-technical system which are typically complex where it's this interface between people and complex automated systems and yeah so i mean teams are interesting super interesting like 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 the um uh, man the literature is about like how to make uh, i mean how to make effective teams is thing is clearly there's more to that clearly mm-hmm. just if it was just the case that oh you make someone amazing at their role and you just collect a number of collect a bunch of people who are great at the roles you need to need to get done you would win sure if that was just the case yeah. we wouldn't even be having this situation we're in right now it's like yeah just what's the problem you, you, you find a good carry player find a good support player find a good mid player put them together they'll be great i can give you 10 examples of how that's failed <laughs> off the top of my head over the past season right yeah. like like teams that are like on paper holy crap yeah. these guys are playing together playing together what this team is going to be phenomenal they show up get crushed so over and over again. so actually um i think this is a good point that you're bringing up because there's some really nice work by uh, Jamie Gorman on team dynamics and he he focused more a bit on sort of surveillance and unmanned aircraft operation but what they find is that if you want to create teams that are more adaptive you actually mix the teams deliberately so part of a training regime might actually be oh. well this is a, this is our core team and we know how to work together but let's mix oh you know up. something interesting that, that, yeah. that you mentioned um so in sri lanka back in so when dota first came out it was just a map on yeah. warcraft right yeah. and in sri lanka it was a very small community like 
because first of all, I, our internet wasn't good enough to play abroad, play up with, with people abroad. Sure. So we all played played internally, and a lot of the, and, and the culture was to go to like land cafes yeah. and play play these play these games, right? And <clears throat> there was one team that was just a, they, they were just dominant. Mm. Like there's there's no point even play, to, to the point where it's like there's no point going going to tournament because everyone's just competing for second place, right? Because that's, that's it. That's unfortunate. Right. Right. <laughs> So for everyone else exactly so, yeah. so 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 a couple of friends of mine we was got, we got sick of this we were like guys this this sucks yeah right so we spoke to the team we were like guys we're gonna do a draft yeah uh tournament where you guys are gonna be captains of five separate teams and you're gonna draft players from the community and you're gonna give you a budget to draft them and we're gonna have a whole draft event and like gonna pick teams and the feedback we got from that was that like people who attended and played they were like that was the most fun tournament they've okay, ever cool. ever had right and so this was taking one team and having yeah, yeah, them yeah. work on a yeah yeah so yeah. like and um what is cool is like the people that they picked to play on each of the teams they played way better okay than they usually play which is like all they have is like cuz like these guys are obviously amazing players right but together they like they sort of it was so weird cuz the matches just got better sure right cuz previously when they were all on the same team the matches themselves were just not good it, mm. it was not good dota right but separately not only did, did the players that they chose to play play better but the match quality just improved drastically cuz now all of a sudden it's like a great game to watch i don't know how i don't know why how to how to no i'm not sure either but so i mean you know going back to what i was saying uh that you know changing the team composition uh, even if you intend to have you know a fixed team you adapt you create some sort of adaptability or resilience of the team but also there's some work as well on actually cross training so like a team member might actually learn and perform the role oh, that they're right. not going to be doing in the end but then they develop you know a better understanding of what it takes to do that role so they will ultimately then understand that role better and be able to like like, work of, better like a form of regu- regularization like a form of like 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 preventing overfitting their tier one little one tier one yeah little. yeah so actually that's a good way of thinking about it uh, about preventing overfitting because that's where you want to have like some optimal or sweet spot for to to have teams that perform well and are adaptive to unexpected That's situations. Like, I I know a company that has everyone on like has um, everyone on service call. Uh, I mm. think some some parts of that where like even the engineers uh, have to go on rotation as uh, on the service team, okay. so speaking to customers directly to sort of like understand what the hell it is that, 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 yeah. that they're actually doing so i was like ah oh, that's, that's like and apparently that like it really helps for them to when they're thinking about solutions to problems cuz like oh okay i see what the what the thing is cuz like for them the thinking is when you're an engineer you, you get so caught up on the fun of the building thing yeah. sort of forget that this is the actual end product that, that comes out um but uh Anyway, I don't know why I brought up that. Well, well, so I, I think that's a good. So, I mean, what what do we have now? You asked this question earlier about have we done anything like in my work to try to improve the performance? And there's actually a couple. So you could actually do this in the training of the teams, right? Uh, you can improve performance by at least the literature and prior work shows 
by mixing up the teams, uh, having team members perform different roles. So you're creating this more adaptive team in that way. Um, you know, ultimately, we want to be able to develop some kind of in situ or real time feedback or intervention systems. But there's still a lot we could already do That's just in advance. Yeah, right. It's like you want to have a balance between like, oh, that's so cool. Because like you want to sort of give people enough. You want to integrate the system enough, but you don't want it to be too exactly. integrated. Yeah. So, that, so so like it's like everyone's... And it's too brittle. It's too, too brittle, rigid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want them to be completely just... The, everyone's the same because that doesn't do anything either. Yeah. So that was interesting because like I read this uh, book... Uh, I don't know why I read random books, but like this, I read this entire book on cancer, right? Mm. About And one thing I learned from that is like, sort of, it's not that there are cancerous cells that kills you. It's that the lack of the cells that you need do need to do specific functions that have been replaced by this amorphous thing that does nothing. Mm. Uh, this cancerous cells that are not differentiated, not capable of, I mean, they're differentiated, but like they're not capable of doing a specific role in that, setting that that's what gets you right because it because they take over the like brain cells or yeah. the space that will be occupied by the cells you need to do the differentiated function together with other cells but like um sorry random tangent this happens all the time well so, <laughs> so uh, this is this is a bit less in my area but when you look at like complex systems in other areas when people are developing them or thinking about the economy or an automated like like autopilot system for an aircraft for example then this is where redundancy from like an engineering perspective ah, right. that's like you don't want the redundancy because it's not as efficient as something that's more streamlined but if you're thinking about it from this sort of resilience or adaptability perspective having some redundancy in this design can sort of help prevent sort of failure for example and i think that applies to your right, uh, right, cancer right. example that if you have a cell like if your cells that were supposed to perform some certain function are no longer uh, able to do that and you don't have any that can compensate then that's you know what uh, ultimately drives uh, right that's yeah. cool all right <laughs> yeah. i know you go i know you gotta go catch a train um, this has been legit we should do this do you have a final question uh, <laughs> <laughs> man i have so many questions no it's like um so I, I spent this this uh, weekend reading about a paper, um, a entropy based model of anxiety. Yeah. And and there's a lot of complex dynamic system stuff in there, but like I can't remember much of it. But like I'll ask about it later. But no, I have I have great questions, but uh, I think we can wrap this up for today. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, to chat with me. No, of course, dude. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and. Uh, taking your time to talk to me about this random sh shit that comes <laughs> that comes into my head yeah. um cool thanks and uh catch you soon okay bye this has been a one deeper podcast thanks for joining and i hope you learned something catch you again next time